Well, morning everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Stuart and um, uh, it's great to be here. And um, as Joe mentioned earlier, we are uh, in the middle of a little uh, series on Colossians and we're looking through the, the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 2. Colossians is about two-thirds of the way through the New Testament if you're looking for it. And we've got to uh, uh, verses 9 to 15 uh, this week. So if you can find your way there, if you've got, uh, got a Bible handy. But I'll read it out anyway. So it says this, For in Christ, for in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity, that's God the Father, lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, there's some difficult things here, but uh, they're also is the heart of the gospel here. So if you have been wondering, well, why do I come to church? What's all this about? Uh, why do people go to church? What do they believe? The gospel's right here in these few verses, and uh, this is wonderful, powerful stuff. Let's just begin by praying. Father, please help me to unpack these verses well so that all that you want to say to us is revealed here today in this room. Amen. So there are four things uh, that I wanted to, to bring out here. And the first is about uh, the fullness of God living in bodily form. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now it's a, it's a bit difficult. Yesterday, Amy, our little granddaughter, she's, uh, she's nearly three, said, um, so where is God then? <laughs> I can see you and I can see you but where's God and of course we don't see him but his disciples 2,000 years ago saw him they saw him uh, dying on the cross and then after that uh, three days later they saw him raised to life again so they had seen Jesus not just alive but also dead but then alive again now uh, th this is you know, it sounds to some like a fairy story. They say, oh, this is, this is, you know, I can't believe that. But actually in the, uh, in the old, old uh, Greek uh, writings, the stuff that's in the Bible is the stuff that's best evidence. We have more copies of this material from, uh, from, from that period 2,000 years ago than we do of any other writer from classical Greek. There's a lot of material which supports this. There are other testimonies from other writers that support that this happened. 
there's the change in the way that the disciples behaved and acted after they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. They thought he died. They thought all the promise that Jesus had represented had died, and that was the end of their hopes. But then he's raised to life again, and they're transformed. They're no longer fearful uh, and anxious. Suddenly, they're full of faith. And uh, so, so this, this transformation changed their lives, and it's changed the lives of many here too. And we'll see in a minute why it was that Jesus died on the cross. But when we're looking at Jesus, we're looking at the whole fullness of God. There's a sense of, there's nothing more that could be added to Jesus. He uh, complete, completely represents all that God is. And we saw earlier on in Colossians, it says chapter 1 verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. So when we see Jesus, we see all that there is to be seen in the invisible God, his Father. When it says all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, there's a sense of completeness there. There's no need to add anything more. And, and we're somehow brought to that fullness. Um, and uh, whether that means we're filled with all that Jesus represents or somehow there's some completion in the work of Jesus in the fact that we're there, this verse echoes what it says in Ephesians, the previous book, but one, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Somehow there's this intimate association between Jesus and us as the church. And somehow Jesus, is, his work is completed. The work that he did on the cross is completed by us acknowledging him being uh, a part of the church there's a sense in which we're individually complete in Christ we have all that we need in Jesus and sometimes we come to the end of our own resources and say God help me what do I do now and he turns up and he helps us and wonderfully prayers are answered Together we're in Christ. This is a corporate thing too. It's not just about me and how I feel when I come to the end of my resources. It's about knowing the fullness of Christ together as a church, together as a church family. That sense in which Dan uh, was acknowledging just now, great church family here, hoping to find something similar in New Zealand. And this also echoes the idea that we're made in the image of God himself. It says right back in Genesis, God created man in his own image. The image of God he created him, male and female. This is a fabulous truth, isn't it? Because it contains the idea of our identity being found in Christ. We identify with him in his death and his resurrection through baptism. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But It says in Romans chapter 6, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. We somehow share in a mysterious way in the death of Jesus there. We're buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. These are wonderful truths because you know, life otherwise has just got a full stop for us if without Jesus. But with Jesus, there's a hope that we can share in this wonderful resurrection, this same uh, idea of being raised to life again that he experienced. And it goes on. We've been united with him in death like this. We'll certainly also be united with him in resurrection. Our old self was crucified with him 
so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, so we shouldn't be any longer slaves to sin. Because anybody who's died has been set free from sin. And we'll come back to this idea in a moment in, in talking about circumcision and what that means. So, <laughs> not in too much detail. But <laughs> we believe if we died with Christ and we, we kind of share in that death through baptism, then we'll also live with him. And that's a glorious hope. We know that he was raised from the dead. He can't die again. Death no longer has any mastery over him, it says in Romans. The death he died he died to sin once for all. And we share in that. This idea of fullness also contains some other beautiful truths. This idea that we can communicate. Because we're in Christ, there's an intimacy there that we can communicate with him in prayer. Uh, we had a little prayer meeting here yesterday morning. We prayed this morning. We pray on our own at times. We have this beautiful privilege of being able to pray and to hear what God's saying. And... Uh, that, that comes through being in Christ. There's this idea that all God's power is at work in us. So that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it says in Ephesians, is at work in us. That's a beautiful truth, isn't it? You know, we're not helpless, we're not powerless because we're in Christ and we're in this place where we have this wonderful access, not just to hear what he says, but also uh, to his power at work in our lives. So when we pray, we're expecting God to answer and to hear our prayers and that things will change as a result. We've been made new. <laughs> it's, one, it's a wonderful truth. I, I, was, I became a Christian um, about 40 years ago, 40 years ago this year actually, uh, sitting on the hoe uh, in, in, in Plymouth and uh, looking over the sea. Uh, I hadn't understood at all what the gospel was all about and I'll come back to that in a minute. You know, what is it about? What, what, what is the gospel? But a friend explained it to me. And uh, so I, I went and sat on Plymouth Hoe and I gave my heart to Jesus there uh, in the dark, sort of November evening, looking out over the water, Wednesday evening. And there's that sense in which I've been made new. So although I may look as though I'm 63, nearly 64, actually I'm only 40, and uh, <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> Inside, I'm only 40. We've been made a part of God's family. We've talked about that a little bit. Jesus, we acknowledge as having authority and power. And in some way, we share in that. So as we pray, we can declare his words over people and see lives change, see situations altered because we're praying with that shared authority. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Isn't that a, a beautiful truth? Paul uh, unpacks that in Romans chapter 8. But because we're in Christ, in that intimate relationship with him, nothing can separate us from that. That's a beautiful place to be, uh, knowing that we're loved and valued and treasured and that Jesus has given everything for us. So that's the, the sense of fullness uh, of our being intimately associated with Christ in Christ, uh, in and together with all his fullness. The second thing I want to talk about is circumcision. This little uh, passage talks about us being circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Now circumcision was uh, introduced uh, by God to Abraham. He said, I want you and all your family, all your household to be circumcised. This is going to be a mark of God's people. And uh, every little boy who's eight years old, sorry, eight days old, would be circumcised 
And uh, so that was a mark of uh, being in the Jewish nation, being, being a, a, a Jew. And it was a mark uh, that they, their lives had been transformed, they'd been set apart for God, they were his people, his, his, uh, his, his precious people. And so uh, that was a mark of membership of God's household, as it were. Now, happily, the New Testament makes it clear that circumcision isn't required for us uh, in the physical sense, but there is a spiritual sense in which this, is, this same thing is happening, that we're somehow marked, set aside, distinguished as the people of God, as being part of his family. And so we see that uh, Paul says in Galatians and also in uh, Romans, not necessary uh, for you to be physically circumcised. God will do this uh, in a spiritual sense. But it's, it's not to say that it's uh, a completely painless thing. There's a, an illustration uh, of what it might mean uh, in a book by C.S. Lewis called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's one of the Narnia books. And uh, you'll remember that uh, if you've read the book, that there's a little boy called Eustace Scrub. Anybody remember his middle name? No? No. He's called Clarence. <laughs> what a gift. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's, he's a rather objectionable little boy. He's a bit sneaky, dishonest. He's grumpy with everybody. And uh, he, he's, he's, not, uh, he's not very nice. And at some point in the book, uh, he finds some treasure and he goes to sleep on it and he wakes up and he's been turned into a dragon. He's been, been, uh, and he's been wearing an armband and this armband uh, is still on his, on, his, on his leg, his dragon's leg, but it's tight now, it hasn't grown with him. And uh, after a bit, other things happen, after a bit, uh, he meets with Aslan in the book and he recounts this to Edmund, uh, his cousin. And um, he says, uh, the lion uh, met me and told me to peel off my, uh, my scales. So he peels off some scales. And there's more to be done. He peels off some more scales. And eventually Aslan says, let me do it. And uh, so he makes a big incision and peels off the whole thing. And all this green knobbly dragon skin is, is piled on the floor. And it's a picture of what God does to us in, in this kind of spiritual circumcision. Taking away uh, the old, all the things that were uh, sinful about us and leaving, in, uh, in the book he's described as all sort of pink and you know, like a little boy really, again. And uh, all that, all that unpleasantness is gone. Now, uh, for us, that doesn't all happen at once. You know, we we grow to be more like Jesus as we get older. But God is God is uh, when we give our hearts to Jesus immediately, we're right with Him. It's not it's not that we're perfect straight away. There's a process that the Bible describes as sanctification, kind of cleaning us up a bit that goes on. Uh, I've discovered over at least 40 years <laughs> and hopefully a bit longer yet. But uh, it, that, that process is, is making us more like Jesus. And, uh, it, but we start with this sense in which we're somehow uh, distinguished and marked, set apart. And that happens 
for us in baptism. That's the moment at which the old is gone and the new has come. That's why people get baptized, because there's a sense in which that marks, uh, in a public way, um, our decision to go for Christ, to set aside the old and to say, I'm all in for Jesus. And something real happens there. Something very significant happens uh, in baptism. Um, and uh, we're changed. So happily, no physical circumcision, but instead there's this kind of circumcision of the heart uh, which strips away all the, uh, the unpleasantness of our old life and enables us to make a, a new start. So it's a wonderful act of grace, really. Then it says here, going back to the Colossians uh, passage, verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So we're suddenly, um, we're made alive. In, in Romans 4, it says, um, he's the God who gives life to the dead, stuff that he calls into being things that were not. He gives them life and breathes something fresh into them. And again in Romans 6, 4, we looked at it earlier, we were therefore buried with him into baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We were dead in our sins, and now we're alive in Christ. And this is symbolized by our baptism. And uh, I'm going to tell you uh, a little story from about 30 years ago. Lynn and I uh, went on a, a church course called Workshop. It was read by, uh, led by a guy called Noel Mools. And he told the story of some teenagers uh, who'd wanted to know some information about their teacher and they consulted a Ouija board. And um, uh, they asked about their teacher. Now, just to say, we, we should not just go, go there. We should, we should not use this kind of thing. It's, it sort of exposes us to, uh, to, to dark forces. But it was interesting that when they asked about the teacher, the answer from the board was that the teacher had died. So, and it gave them a date. And uh, it turned out that the date on which the teacher had said to die was the date he'd been baptized, because the teacher was a Christian. So the, 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 the forces of darkness somehow recognized that something had happened in this teacher's life, and that he was now uh, dead to the old, as it were, and alive in Christ. So something, I mean, I, I tell you that story um, really to illustrate that something profound happens when we're baptized. It's a moment of significance. Uh, it's not just somebody getting wet and then coming out and, and having a cup of tea. It's, it's a profound moment when something's happening uh, in the spiritual sense, in, in the realm that we can't see, but something profound is happening when we're baptized. So for all of us who've been baptized, we can get baptized here, we can have a pool. But if we've been baptized, we can, we can share in this profound truth that the old dies and the new begins. We're made alive in Christ. Just to say I was baptized in the sea uh, in April, the year after um, I, was, uh, I gave my heart to the Lord. And uh, here we have a heated pool. I mean, you know, this is decadent here. <laughs> If you're, if you're a real you know, man, you get baptized in the sea, <laughs> just, just to say. 
the people who, who baptised me fell in afterwards. And um, uh, one of them's an MP now. Uh, so uh, he was the guy who'd shared the gospel with me. And um, this is what he shared with me. That Jesus had died on the cross for my sin, for, for my sinfulness. And we see this right here at the end of this little passage in Colossians. It says this, He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So there at the cross, there's some powerful transaction taking place. Jesus dying on the cross for my sin, for your sin. And it's all forgiven. It's kind of, it's nailed there on the cross. And uh, it, it says that um, the charge sheet, um, there's a handwritten note, chirographon, it says in, in the Greek, uh, a handwritten note, which was a kind of a note of um, uh, acknowledging that there was a debt. You know, so if, if I lent you some money uh, in, in the ancient world, there would be this kind of note recording the loan. So it's the same note, but like a mortgage, really. So, um, yeah, but it would be handwritten. And that, that note of all that we had done wrong, all our sin, that was nailed to the cross. Now, I had, um, uh, I'd always thought, oh, well, some piece of paper I imagined being nailed to the cross. Of course, there wasn't any paper nailed to the cross. It was Jesus himself. And all our sin is there in Jesus. That's what's nailed to the cross. He became sin for us. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a wonderful exchange taking place there on the cross where Jesus dies for our sin, for your sin, for my sin, and we receive his righteousness. And in order to obtain that, all we have to do is put our trust in him and say, Jesus, I recognize what you've done for me, and uh, I, want to, I want to take advantage of what you have done to, to receive what you've done for me and uh, to... to to say yes to him. So that's what happened on the cross. And that is why uh, in 1 Corinthians, another book in the Bible, Paul is able to say that we'll be presented blameless on the day when Jesus returns. Jesus is going to return sometime and uh, there'll, there'll, be, there'll be judgment then. And whether we uh, are able to be presented blameless or not will depend upon whether we have acknowledged what Jesus has done for us and said yes I'd like to appropriate that for myself and uh, to, to accept that Jesus has done this for me and give my life to him but it says if we do that we'll be presented blameless on that day of Jesus Christ because our sin was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago in Christ so that all of the debt that we would owe for all that we would do 2,000 years later has been paid. It's all been done. So the cross, which looked like a place of 
defeat and shame, all the hopes that people had about Jesus' ministry. Oh, it's all over. He's dead. It's on the cross. Been crucified. It's revealed instead to be a place of extraordinary triumph. The powers and authorities, both the, the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities and the powers of darkness as well, they might have thought, I've got a list of accusations uh, and offenses ready for each one of us. But instead they find that the debt's been cancelled there on the cross. And Jesus has triumphed. He's made a show of all their hopes in public. And if this is what we fear, that someday we'll be found out, that uh, we'll be exposed, we needn't worry because Jesus has paid the price for all that we've done wrong, all the wrong thoughts, all the things we've left undone, all the things we have done. All our sinfulness, innate sin sinfulness, has been dealt with at the cross. We'll be presented blameless. Now we, um, we break bread together sometimes, People call it communion or sometimes the Eucharist. And uh, this is an expression of this new relationship that we have with Jesus as a result of what he's done for us. And uh, uh, it recognizes these truths that we've been discussing that we are somehow intimately bound up with Jesus. And uh, we, we share the bread and um, the wine. <laughs> It's not much in here, is there? But uh, we share these things to bring to mind what we've been talking about that Jesus has done on the cross. But we also do it to, um, to, to express our confident hope and faith in the future. And uh, Paul describes it like this. He writes to the, the Corinthians. He describes communion in this way. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we, we put these little wafers here in the top of the, uh, the, the cup here. And then it says, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Now he goes on to give them a little warning then. He says, don't do this in a kind of unworthy, light-hearted manner. Do it uh, with seriousness and reverence. Um, if, if, we, if we come knowing that there's uh, something we've done wrong, some, some sin we've committed, uh, then we should seek forgiveness for that first. And that's the great thing about Jesus. We can always go back and say, Lord, I've blown it. Please will you forgive me? There's always grace for us saying, of course, I dealt with that at the cross. It's not that we should sin willfully knowing that we've got a get out of jail card uh, there on the cross, but uh, we should recognize what Jesus has done for us and live accordingly, live lives that are transformed, that are uh, godly lives. And that's one of the hallmarks of the church, that we, uh, that we support and bless one another. We're gracious and generous to each other. But just let's take a moment before we break bread together um, to just bring to mind anything that we, we might have done wrong that, uh, that we might want to ask forgiveness for. Uh, and then we'll, we'll break bread together. And, um, 
uh, and then perhaps Joe, you'll be able to, uh, to come up and, and lead us again in worship. So, Father, as we, as we come to you, we, we thank you for this glorious place that we find ourselves in, in Christ. He who represents all the fullness of you, our Heavenly Father, in bodily form. Thank you for the intimate relationship that we have with Jesus as a result of his death on the cross, shedding his blood for us, but then being raised to life again, giving us this glorious hope that we too will be presented blameless on the day when he returns. Father, we ask your forgiveness for anything that we might have done wrong, that we might have omitted to do any sin in our lives. And we know that we're forgiven, Lord, because of what Jesus has done. So we share this bread together and, and the, uh, the grape juice to remind ourselves of all that Jesus has done and all that he has promised to us. In Jesus' name, amen.